0: So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue-white-green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Voice acting sounds like a pretty niche career, right? It reminds me of the radio ads I grew up with in the 80s and 90s, the familiar voices whose faces and names I probably would never see or know. However, through my media and PR career, I've employed scores of voiceover actors to narrate videos and more recently, even be the face of a campaign. And usually through connections I already have versus an agency. Today, I'm speaking to an experienced techpreneur, David Cicerelli, the founder and CEO of Voices. His business is for anyone who's been ever told that they could have a great voice career and would like to get into voice acting. More than just talking, voice acting requires the ability to connect with an audience and bring a script to life. The technical capability to record, edit and export high quality audio and the business know how how to reply to jobs, negotiate that next gig and follow up for future work. The income potential ranges from, and this is in US dollars, one hundred dollars to $10,000 per job depending on if the work will air on broadcast TV or for non-broadcast uses such as phone system recordings or internal corporate training videos. David's company has been written about in the New York Times, Business Week, Entrepreneur Magazine and Fast Company. He's appeared on Business News Network and The Globe and t- Mail TV. He's currently attending Harvard Business School and is a frequent guest speaker at industry conferences. So it's a big warmed up voice welcome to David as we unpack the politics of voice acting.
1: Hello. Hello. Oh, hello, Amber. Thanks so much for having me on your show. And I love the voice warmed up. Welcome. That's great. Well, that's what you kind of have to do, don't you, when you're
0: a voice actor? I guess you can't come in all crackly and sounding tired and lethargic.
1: No, there's uh, certainly vocal warm ups, either you know lip trills or even doing some you know reciting a limerick or doing some other kind of tongue twisters. Absolutely, there's a number of ways that you can warm up your voice first thing in the morning, whether you're appearing on a podcast or just uh, ready for a day in the office.
0: Absolutely. So, can you share us your early childhood career ambitions? Are you doing what you thought you'd do for a living as a kid? Um, what was your early career like?
1: Well certainly I mean you know growing up I was actually always fascinated with sound myself you know there were some other areas of interest you know being a pilot or an architect I played a lot of legos growing up as well too but uh, I did have this interest with sound you know we had a uh, an old record player in the house and dad had this shortwave radio where you could tune in to radio stations from all around the world and and growing up in northern Canada I could actually hear stations and people speaking other languages. I don't know where they were, but it sounded very remote and foreign to me. And so there was this idea that there are kind of people from around the world that I could listen to. It was almost like reaching an an, an unreached people group. And so this idea of kind of technology bridging the gap to reaching and accessing people was was very fascinating with me. I uh, then not to mention you know recording uh, my my own voice with you know just tapes and cassettes and. Recording radio stations, that was always interesting. So it really did in in some ways, that early interest, I I did, you know, advance into a career, you know, actually into an education initially, learning how to record and edit and produce music for TV and for, you know, uh, garage bands and, and other performances and I actually opened up a small recording studio of my own. So, yeah, I think in in a lot of ways, Amber, you know, I, most of us do look back and 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 see that there indeed was a thread. Yeah, you join the dots. Wove its, that's, that's exactly that's woven its way through your whole life. So, how did you start your business, Voices? Well, that same studio I actually opened up, and I got my name on my birthday in the local newspaper. It was it was just kind of introducing me to the local business community. And uh, it actually turns out that Stephanie, who's now my wife, and, and at the time she's uh, a classically trained singer. She'd sing at weddings and funerals and other special events. Her mom actually read this newspaper article and suggested that she come down to the studio to record her singing repertoire. And we ended up working together, of course. And because of that same article, there were other small businesses in town that wanted a female voice for their radio commercial and for a female voice on their phone system. There's a couple of businesses and, and I, you know, being a an, 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 an bit of a nerd myself and the engineer, I couldn't do those gigs. So I actually had just met Stephanie the other day and I had invited her. I said, do you think you could come back down to the studio? I will be the audio engineer and record you if you could be the female voice talent and and we'll split the money 50, 50. So that's how we started working together. We opened up, um, you know, that launched this very, you know, very primitive website that featured Stephanie as the one female voice. And that soon attracted other freelancers from around the world, initially around kind of North America, but eventually around the world who spoke other languages, did different performance styles. And they asked, can we be on your website as well? And we created a profile, in effect, for all of these talent where they could showcase their work. And then at the same time, Amber, there would be clients, corporate clients, maybe at an ad, often at ad agencies or a video production company, perhaps somebody in a marketing department that, that needed to hire a voice. So they would type that into Google and land on Voices.com and, you know, kind of be introduced to this whole market, uh, this marketplace of talent that were available to, to, you know, as you mentioned off the at the outset, kind of breathe these words to life, these scripts that they needed to have recorded. And so it's really been that same idea from the get-go of connecting that, you know, voice talent with the client to hopefully, you know, educate and inform and entertain audiences from around the world.
0: So I guess you've seen sort of a, a big shift over the years you've run, run your business. How has voice acting changed as a sector over the years that you've been involved with it? What, what's some of the things which um, you remember back in the day that we don't do now or that we've added on to?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing that comes to mind would be, you know, along the lines of technology, you know, uh, previous to voices.com, you know, a client, maybe if they had a project, they'd often work, you know, call around to a few talent agencies, those talent agencies would then go into the recording studio and, and kind of put forth their three to five best people, and into this recording studio, and there would be somebody with the with the golden ears sitting in the high chair, and they would be the casting director. And they would evaluate and hire the best person for that particular project. And so that, is, that kind of in-person experience is one of the things that has really changed. Now, this kind of work can be procured and, and, and people can be hired remotely. Um, so that's one thing. And the reason of that is because the cost of the recording equipment has dropped to such a degree where you can record with a good microphone plugged into your computer in a quiet space. And you don't need to go into these really high-end, you know, recording studios with all that equipment. It's really quite simple. It's it's the human voice being captured and then being captured and, and, and digitized into software. So I think that's one of the things that have changed. And just that the style of performance has also changed. So going from kind of technology to the performance, you know, it used to be this almost this father knows best you know kind of the the, an era in kind of like the 50s and 60s that almost carried forward to the the 70s and 80s where there is almost this kind of the announcer voice that talked down to the audience as if they were proclaiming that something is just known to be true and that they are bringing forth the message now what we hear are a style of performance which we call the approachable expert this is more of like the friendly guy or gal next door, somebody who you can trust, who is always in the know, they're up on pop culture and politics and celebrity gossip and they, and technology advancements, They they seem to be giving you a bit of an inside scoop on things. And they do that in a way that's approachable. And so that's almost this kind of friend communicating with you as opposed to a parental figure communicating with you and doing the voiceover. So that's a couple things that we've seen. And then as you, and then to maybe close this off in terms of the applications, it, you know, voiceover used to be really limited to radio and TV commercials. Maybe there was a movie trailer in there that again, would be airing on, on TV or, you know, uh, some kind of animated production, perhaps in the, in the late nineties, uh, the, you know, renaissance of Disney films and I can picture that. That's Mm -hmm.
0: my childhood.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so there are those. But nowadays, we have voice used in all kinds of new ways. Everything from podcasting, like intros and outros or podcast ads. Radio is now on kind of more around Spotify, or Pandora or some kind of other audio application, where again, there can be shows, and then there can be advertisements. And then social media, it might even be a situation where the video is being produced, but there's also a voiceover that's done. And these campaigns, are they have such a short shelf life that there is a need for you know, new, fresh voiceovers, video and voice content all the time. So I think those are some of the changes that we've seen transpire over the last 5, 10, uh, 15 years.
0: Do you need formal training to succeed and how do you feel, there's two parts to this question, and how do you respond, I guess, to that customised area like accents? I've got an Australian accent, you've got a North American accent. Of course, some people are great, the Hollywood people who sometimes play Australians, for example, or vice versa. A lot of Australian actors to get a career in Hollywood have had to perfect the American accent. Accents, how important are they as part of that, I guess, training or,
1: or I guess, application to mm-hmm. what the client really wants? Well, what, what I'm going to say here certainly comes with a caveat. I mean, you don't need formal, uh, re- and it's not required, kind of formal training to be a voice actor to, to succeed. However, what we do see are voice actors who've received that formal training, working with a coach, maybe either doing everything from stand-up comedy to improv classes to you know, public speaking or media training, all of this certainly has helped people know how to perform or respond in different environments. And, and as we you know, reuse this phrase of like bringing these words to life, you're really acting them out, you're speaking, it's the script, you're speaking to an audience. So knowing how to read and interpret a script is actually, it's a skill in and of itself. But we often stress the importance of having three core skills. It's these acting abilities, the technical skills, such as recording your own voice and then editing it in recording software, like every Mac comes with GarageBand, There's of course. Adobe Audition, yeah. There's Audacity. So you need to record and edit your own voice. And then some kind of, I would say the marketing prowess, the knowing, the ability to go out and get jobs, either market yourself by building your own website or participating on a marketplace, a freelance marketplace, and of course, communicating effectively with those clients who are interested in working with you or who hire you and communicating in such a manner that they actually come back and hire you again in the future. So those are the, those are the, you know, it's the training, you know, some of it certainly could be formal, but more of it is the, uh, the street sense the, the being out there and being in the business and, and hustling to get these gigs on your own that you learn over time, your style of communication, what types of projects that your voice is best suited for and how to engage those clients in order so they do come back to you time and time again.
0: Absolutely. What specific role has technology played in enabling us to become voice actors? So you talked about obviously technology when I asked you about how the sectors changed, but these days, I'm sure you have a studio for example, but a lot of people don't need to go to and hire a studio and go in there and actually, you know, have that equipment on site. There's a lot we can do ourselves. But I guess is the technology good enough for the things that, you know, you're talking about, like, you know, the big commercials and so forth? There's some Mm -hmm. things that haven't changed, I guess, and some things might have.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised, Amber. There are national advertising campaigns that are recorded from spare bedroom, you know, and uh, closets and a studio in someone's basement. I mean, it's, it's a quiet space is arguably one of the most important aspects of it. And once it's out of, you know, the words come out of your mouth and into a good quality microphone in a quiet environment, after that, it's, it's just digital. You're kind of manipulating that digital sound. And so there's a bit of a pithy saying, kind of garbage in, garbage out. It's like if you've recorded a, a guitar and the guitar's out of tune, nothing, there's no digital manip- manipulation that you can do to make it sound back in tune. And same thing, whatever comes out of your mouth, it's how it's captured that it's, it's, you kind of get what you get. So in that case, the technology in most situations is absolutely good enough. In fact, great quality in people's home studios to the degree where some talent have, you know, they've been, they've done the audition in at their home studio, been invited to go into the big studio in Manhattan or in, in Los Angeles. And it actually doesn't sound as good. The client you know, hiring them said, you actually sounded better in their own environment. And, and I think there's maybe something to be said about that, where the talent maybe felt more relaxed. It was their space. They were comfortable. They felt at ease in order to deliver and, and do a great recording. Um, so the cost of the studio, a home studio, probably somewhere around a $1,000. I mean, you, of course, need a, a computer that you probably already have. Software is like, you know, anywhere between 25 and uh, $25 a month. Um, but there's free software that, that certainly does the trick. And then the microphone can range from, you know, a, a few hundred dollars to all the way up to a few thousand. But most people start small and as they win more projects and and improve their sound over time are kind of reinvesting uh, in, in their home studio. But at the end of the day, it's just your voice. That's what's being hired. That's what the client is, is looking for.
0: Absolutely. And so do you guide some of your clients' About that technology piece—is that part of what you offer, or you're assuming they come to you and, and they will go off and sort of do the tech stuff themselves, and you're really just the, if you like, the broker of of their voice?
1: Yeah, I think that I think that's fair. I mean, we we do try to uh, provide that, you know, guidance on kind of the, the right pieces of equipment. Sometimes there's brands that stand out. Only because it, they almost become a, a standard piece of equipment, where everyone uses the same kind of handful pieces of software. So, how we surface that up would be in our annual trends reports, where we survey the community of voice talent and ask them, "What brand of microphone are you using? What is your uh, software that you're currently using? Do you wear headphones? You know, and you kind of we go through this as well as determine." You know how much have you invested in your in your studio? Eighty percent of people have have invested less than ten thousand dollars. I think it's like fifty percent less than a thousand. So it 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 isn't you know compared to a lot of businesses, there is a, certainly an upfront cost and investment, but it's not outrageous if you will. But there's lots of guides. You know, googling you know these type of guides and tutorials on specific type of equipment. I would encourage that and and evaluate uh, what's out there. One, one tip, if I may, for those who are maybe interested in, in, uh, in this space, is see if you can actually go to your local music store and rent out some equipment for, again, $10, $10 $20 for the weekend. You can rent out a, a bunch of microphones and try them out and, and listen to yourself. And if you like the sound, and maybe send it to some friends, and do they like the sound? A lot of people kind of try before they buy a lot of this equipment because it is because it's an investment and so that would be one way to reduce the risk to know yeah this I like the sound of my voice coming through this equipment and you know before uh, before making that financial investment up front so that's something that we've seen uh, time and time again and then and then not to mention there are third party websites that sell used or gently used equipment uh, maybe somebody upgraded and there's you know or they have two microphones they're selling their old one so I would encourage, you know, you don't always have to buy new right off the bat. There's other ways to, uh, to get into the business.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Who is the best voice actor you ever worked with and why? And I feel like you're going to say your wife, but I could be wrong.
1: Oh, that's a good one. I, I'd actually, you know, I, I, I certainly would, would be reluctant to drop a name. And we, we've the talent that one thing, one important distinction is that Voices, the, you know, the employees and the team at Voices.com were not hiring the voice actor you know aside from the few times where we've recorded our own phone system or done our own tutorial videos it's the end client who you know you know that person at an ad agency who's hiring someone but you know i was i was thinking about this about you know who who might these be but rather than you know a specific name if i if i may you know we've we've done some research on identi- identifying the most popular vocal archetypes that actually represent brands and so rather than a specific name, I'll, I'll maybe just run down these very quickly, which is the first one being that trusted narrator. So think of this as like the Morgan Freeman, David Attenborough, Sam Elliott, maybe James Earl Jones or Kate Blanchett. These are, these are you know, it, it can sometimes be the announcer, but they certainly, they're a narrator. You can listen to them for a long documentary or a long story that's being told. They're authoritative and deep. They can be inspirational. So that would be one another archetype would be the approachable expert. So this is, this is that guy or gal next door They're They are approachable. They're authentic. They're very conversational. They're friendly. And you could think of a, you know, maybe a George Clooney or a Matthew McConaughey, maybe even Taylor Swift, kind of a a down to earth type person. And then finally the international guide. This is like a Nicole Kidman or a, a Keira Knightley, a Hugh Jackman, Kate Winslet, they're the guide, they're a teacher. They're, it could be a tour guide or a historian, a scientist. And they're charismatic, they're enchanting, maybe even mysterious or luxurious, even romantic. And so these are these archetypes, the, the trusted narrator, the approachable expert, and the international guide. Those are the, the most frequently you know types of voices that we hear and see brands hiring on the platform over and over again.
0: It's funny you say that. I saw a fridge magnet years ago on someone's fridge and it was, I want Morgan Freeman to narrate my life. And I just yeah. it always stuck with me. He's got <laughs> one of those voices, which people find warm, but authoritative. And obviously, you know, people know him, but yes, it's very distinct, distinguished in some ways.
1: And, you know, it's, it's, you know, the other kind of running joke is, you know, not Morgan Freeman or someone else with a fantastic voice could, you know, read the phone book and put you to sleep kind of thing. They, they They'd almost like, they could make anything interesting, either to get you excited about it or motivate you to take some kind of action or even uh, lull you into a, a long, deep sleep for the evening. So
0: A guided meditation by Morgan Freeman. <laughs> it does make me think of the rise of audiobooks as well, which I guess do you get requests for that or do people tend to go to different sorts of providers for that? You know, a lot of people love, love an audiobook. It's instead of reading, you know, instead of a podcast, it's a long-form book that, you know, has got a great voice. I imagine autobiographies often get read by the person who's, who's the subject matter. But I guess if it's, you know, a general kind of uh, fiction book, it would require a different type of, type of actor.
1: Mm-hmm. The, the Audio Publishing Association, you know, states they, on their site these kind of stats that I believe it's upwards as, as nearly 10,000 audiobooks published a year now. Wow. A number of years ago it was 3,000, then 6,000, I think we're up to 10,000 a year. Some authors choose to record it themselves. Many others are just kind of candidly too busy or on the other hand, they, again, don't like the sound of their own voice. They're not, they're not le- it's, it, it's recording an audiobook is like a, it's a marathon. I mean, it's, it's not just the six hours of, of, of record time. You're often recording a passage two or three times over. So, and if, if that's new to you, I mean, you wouldn't just go run a, a 20 mile or a 30 kilometer marathon without training and being being you know having done it a few times before so i would caution maybe a new narrator or an author to just jump into recording their own audiobook there are sites out there amazon or owns audible and audible is you know they have an audiobook creation exchange is is a place that you can go to hire a narrator for uh, for your book if you're self published or you want to get uh, one created and uh, and of course likewise on on voices.com or there's even you know, other sites that are are dedicated to that particular genre uh, of music. I mean, you're, I don't know how many audiobooks you listen to, Amber, but uh, I certainly... I'm going
0: to am... tell you zero because I actually like reading books. You, I, yeah, but, um...
1: that's, and the paperback too, I hope. Is that right?
0: Uh, me too. It's generational. And because I look at screens all day in my day job, I love... You know, I love actually holding a book and all of those sorts of things. Not as easy when you're traveling a lot because, you know, you don't want to carry lots of books. But, yeah, I've never got into the audiobook. I love podcasts. I tend to listen to a lot of them but haven't actually ventured into audiobooks. I just don't know that I'd, yeah, I, I find the idea of just listening to someone, I don't know whether I'd concentrate mm. on the topic that much. Mm-hmm. I think my mind drifts a bit so it must be a certain you know, preference as well. Some people have an audio learning style. That's what I was just mind. going to bring up. You're
1: absolutely right. A third, uh, you know, a third of the world's population are auditory learners. And I would consider myself one of those for sure. I have, you know, f- almost, I almost buy exclusively audio books. I have over 500 on my iPhone, and many of which I actually go back to and listen over and over again. Partly because you're right. I end up drifting off to sleep or on an airplane. <laughs> you, you kind of like, and you'll have to go back yep, and you have miss What exactly. twist. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. But yeah. the 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 benefit of the paperback is it never runs out of batteries, and you can always just dog ear the full uh, corner of the of the page to know exactly where you left off. So I'm definitely a fan of reading myself.
0: Who've been your greatest mentors? Are there one or two that come to mind that have made an impact on your life and career?
1: Well, certainly, certainly, my parents have been, you know, very encouraging and supportive. Of we talked about that thread weaving through our lives. I mean, encouraging you know me to uh, go into you know music lessons and piano lessons b- buying a drum kit and letting me uh, pound on the drums uh, at home and making all kinds of ruckus but then beyond that pursuing i'm going to say a, a fairly non-traditional educational path of learning to record music and on and being in kind of this audio technology space which was a which is a dedicated program so they've been very tremendous and i've had a number of business advisors one fellow, his name's Glenn Yanamitsu. Glenn had served as um, an advisor at Canadian Business Development Bank, Bank of Canada. And he really taught me about strategy and how strategy is all about the choices that you make. And these choices need to be self-reinforcing. You need to be making them intentional, you know. You get to a fork in the road. You cannot go down both paths at once. You need to make a choice. And so Glenn really helped me evaluate a number of strategic options and and ultimately us as a business making some great choices over the the last number of years. So those are a couple people, probably everyone I would imagine, you know, to some degree acknowledges their parents have been influential. And then a few of those moments of truth or people who come into your life for maybe a, a particular reason or even a particular season of your life, maybe three months or six months, where they walk alongside you either through a difficult time or through a time where there is an important choice to be made and ultimately becoming lifelong friends and and uh, likely mentors as well. So that was my situation with uh, with my friend, Glenn.
0: Fantastic. If we spoke again in a year, what would be the number one thing you would have hoped to have changed in your business and why?
1: My goodness, I'd, I would love nothing more than to be spending more time you know, face to face with our customers, being in community directly with them, we've just spent so much incredible time, and in, you know, behind screens and uh, not as much time together. So, to to the extent that people are comfortable, I'd love to be spending more time together uh, in person, and that also goes for our team, our employees. I mean, we have a, a beautiful office space in, in in our city, and and uh, at one point, you know, had a culture where it was very lively and vibrant and everyone was together and working in the the collaborative environment. So I think in order to, you know, I I hope to restore those moments where there was just real excitement uh, for what we were doing and you could kind of see it and feel it where you can capture a bit of that on screen. But I think I'd love uh, to be able to recreate those moments and really plot a course for how we're going to hopefully continue to grow Voices.com for years to come.
0: Your final takeaway message for us today on the politics of voice acting?
1: We've been speaking all about voice acting. It's it's certainly everywhere, enhancing the way that we experience everything from radio to streaming services, podcasts, and video games. And the one takeaway is the demand for voiceovers is, is on the rise. If you work in an organization or a brand, think about the importance of audio branding. You know how how is it your organization sounds, and plenty of opportunities to work with a voice talent to improve the sound of your organization. And if you're considering, you know, maybe starting a career as a voice actor or maybe, you know, a a side hustle or a side gig, if you will, uh, you can certainly learn more by going to the website, voices.com and uh, accessing a whole host of resources there for you.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure to speak to you today. I feel like this uh, has been an episode long time in the making given the fact podcasting relies entirely on our voices and I don't record the video, which a lot of people expect in 2022, that's what you do, but I'm a purist. I'm like, it's a podcast, it's Mm. not a video show. And I love the fact that people can listen to this kind of thing no matter what they're doing, if they're taking the kids to soccer or they're cleaning the house or just um, having a relax with a cup of tea. If you do want to connect further with David, of course, there'll be some details on our show notes Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber.com at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.